Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from Accra. I'm back on the continent and I'm feeling the love and the sun and the dust and I think you can hear it in my voice. I have a little bit of a cold and it is just a cold. But yeah, so I'm just happy to be back and I'm back in the groove. I spent the weekend or been spending the weekend at a writer's festival called Peja here in Accra, which is kind of a Pan-African writer's festival, which is very lovely. And so look forward to sharing a lot of the new writers that I've met met there in future episodes. So stay tuned for that. And staying on the Pan-African theme, my guest this week is is a longtime friend who is now an expat living on the continent. She is an experienced business-minded physician with expertise in pediatric medicine, preventative medicine, and public health. She is passionate about developing and implementing clinical programs that merge technology and healthcare delivery systems to improve health outcomes. In her last role as the medical director of value-based care at New York's Northwell Health, she established an innovative care model utilizing healthcare analytics payer data, and strategic clinical partnerships to proactively assess and identify vulnerable populations needing medical attention. A trip to Tanzania in 2018 changed the course of her life. It was during that trip that she decided to move to East Africa and develop digital health programs expanding access to quality health care. In February 2020, she resigned from Northwell to pursue her dream of democratizing health for all by building an effective, affordable digital health platform that can be used to improve health care delivery across a variety of health care settings. Dr. Michelle Donald, welcome to the podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you and your global citizen audience, just all about this new phase of my life. It's it's amazing. Yay, I'm so excited. So let's get started. First question is always, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? So I am from Long Island, New York in the U.S., I currently am in Nairobi, Kenya, which has been amazing. I kind of like bumped around to get here. I I went through Tanzania, was headed to Uganda, and then just ended up in Nairobi. And they've welcomed me with open arms. So my craft, interestingly enough, is medicine. Like the introduction said, I'm a pediatrician, preventive medicine doc, and primarily have built my career in digital health. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So now I'm kind of working on two things here in Nairobi. One is a mental health app called Goldmind. It's a startup, which, you know, is kind of slow going. We're building it from the ground up just to really provide mental health services And then the other exciting thing that I'm doing is something called the Ungrind. And Mm. Ungrind is basically a social movement to reject grind culture, prioritize rest, recharging, receiving, and just living a life, you know, that you love because I actually made the choice to leave my job and leave my role and in the pursuit of just happiness and joy. So that's what I'm doing here now. Nice, nice, nice. So let me ask, 
What exactly is digital health? How would you define it and describe it? Yeah, so digital health, it's kind of a wide range of things, but traditionally it is providing healthcare utilizing technology. So that's like the broad umbrella. You know, many people are really familiar with telemedicine now because of COVID, you know, people Mm -hmm, have been mm -hmm. accessing care. So that's the easiest example of digital health, But digital health encompasses using like analytics on electronic medical records to really get a a picture of the patient and then utilize that data to go and help the patient or the entire population. So really digitizing medical records and medical information to be used to improve health, health outcomes. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now being in a totally different context, because obviously from the U.S., you have you know everything state of the art. You have access to a lot of different tools and resources to be able to work in the digital space. How are you finding the infrastructure for that in East Africa? Yeah, you know, just like in the U.S., there are two standards of healthcare. So. A lot of the private hospitals and private um, physician offices have electronic medical records. The public sector has almost nothing. But even in the private sector, there there's no... I would liken it to about 10 years ago in the U.S., where most things are on paper. Some places have electronic whether it's, you know, electronic monitoring for blood pressure that really doesn't go anywhere or all out digital health records. And the private sector has a lot more digitization and are a lot more open to digitizing records. The public sector, I think there's a lot of struggle around how to digitize the public sector and the appetite for digitizing the public sector. Because um, for one thing, it's a huge economic investment. Mm-hmm. Just putting electronic medical records you know, into the offices, sure, that's nice, but you really get the benefit when you can link other offices together. So as people move around, they're not right. really making their records. And then there's also this thing of digitization of records really hinders fraud and corruption. And, you know, a lot of people are still making money off of, you know, multiple, multiple bills for the same things or Mm. digitization, just like in the US, it, it really had to get a lot of the insurance and pharmacy and redundancy in order you know, before putting those records, you have to do the same thing here. And there are a lot of people that are benefiting from the chaos. Once you chaos up, then the service that you provided is the service that's in the record. And that's the service that you're going to be paid for. You know, of insurance isn't even really that big here in East Africa. Like, you know, there is a national health service, which is the public service, but most people don't have private insurance. In the U.S., private insurance also pushed the digitization of 
records and helped to fund it. The government really saw value in the digitization of records. So it's really going to take the private and public sectors of governments to really build policy around it and, you know, make it a priority. And there's so many other things to kind of worry about that Mm -hmm. the infrastructure around getting digital records up and running just hasn't been prioritized yet. So that was um, interesting coming here because my first thought when I left was like, oh, I'll just kind of recreate what I did in the U.S. because really helping a population, just helping to identify a population, getting really crisp, clear outreach efforts going to populations is what will change health outcomes. So I was like, I can basically just set the same thing up here. Now being here and really seeing the challenges to the infrastructure, that's where I kind of pivoted and started working on the startup because you're building your own thing and people basically will come to you. So that's really interesting. So tell us a little bit more about what you worked on and just generally so that we kind of understand what the vision is or was that could be potentially transferred in your in your former role? Yeah, absolutely. So I was part of a startup within a large corporation, corporate hospital called Northwell Health. And our startup was in response to Obamacare, really needing mm. to establish prevention, wellness, and crisp tight management of chronic care illnesses so that it really prevented people from being hospitalized or rehospitalized. So what what we did was, you know, all of our physician offices had electronic medical records, all of the hospitals had electronic medical records, the laboratories fed into the electronic medical records. But before I really started, in my role, which was the medical director of value-based care, nobody was really looking at that information and getting a clear picture of the patients and the problems. So seeing how many women that were eligible for mammograms were actually getting them. You know, children that needed immunizations, were they missing them? Were they actually coming into the practices for sick visits and still never getting set up for Um, their routine well-child visits or their immunizations. So really setting up a program that linked the scheduling system, the practices, the missing services information that actually came in through the insurance companies, reaching out to the practices and saying, these patients are going to be in your practice on this day, make sure they get their service. If we saw that there were patients that needed certain services and they had no appointments within the next like six months, we had a call center that was functioning as an inpatient call center, you know, and where people would call and say, I want to get an appointment for X. We actually turned that call center around with the outreach list of patients who are not getting services to call those patients and proactively bring them in and say, hey, you know, according to our records, according to the insurance that you have, you have not gotten your colonoscopy or you have not your hemoglobin A1C, which is an indicator of how well a patient is managing their diabetes is out of range. So we want you to come in and maybe link you with a care management manager or link you with 
a dietitian. So really kind of making that umbrella services here available because there are all mm-hmm. community health workers working throughout Africa and doing a great job. But if they were armed with the information of these are the patients that we really need to target for whether it's TB, whether it's HIV medications, or now a large subset of people are, you know, not burdened with TB, not burdened with malaria, not burdened with HIV, but are starting to experience the diseases of wealth, you know, which is obesity. Mm is hypertension. So really getting this young, healthy population before it really spirals down to like what we see in the U.S. Because now that you're seeing, you know, these diseases of wealth come in, we know what that looks like and we know what happens and we know the sequelae of, you know, eating at KFC and all these things that just didn't used to exist. Mm -hmm. Now here, people are now, you know, really living kind of robust, long lives where they're working so hard and taking their kids everywhere that they're getting these quick meals, you know? And so really looking at that and seeing how we can prevent the sequelae of wealth. Very interesting. So, I mean, that seems like a really dynamic program. So in the time that you were there, how did you measure your impact and how were you, did you, were you able to see like as a startup, you know, moving through that project, what were your big challenges and what were your, your successes? Yeah. When I first got there, basically we were utilizing insurance companies, the national guidelines that insurance companies had used to measure quality, right? But but Mm -hmm. each individual insurance company was saying, I want you to measure this. I want you to measure that. I want you to. So, what we did is we decided to utilize the HEDIS criteria criteria for all of our programs. And HEDIS, I'm just going to actually look it up because I say it all the time and I don't remember. (laughs) But HEDIS is the Healthcare Effectiveness Data and Information Set. So those are national guidelines, right? So the first thing that I did in my role was renegotiate all of our contracts so that we all the contracts had the same parameters, right? So global agency had to be this, you know, mammograms had to be done at a certain age and this many years. Uh, all the immunizations had to be, so everything was standardized across the board. So once we got standards across the board, we would set them with our physician practices, set them with the laboratories, and really set up indicators of when a patient needed to be called, set up, you know, what labs, what labs needed to be done at each visit, when a patient was going to be scheduled for a colonoscopy, all based on these national criteria. And then based on that, because um, Medicaid and Medicare has very standardized quality metrics and a lot of the Medicaid, Medicare programs incentivize you hitting these certain targets, they're called star ratings, we were able to measure based on our star rating. Mm. So we mm-hmm. watched our star ratings, you know, increase, but also other parameters of like, we we also set our own parameters of how many new patients that were not, you know, previously getting care are now into our practices. So really just 
again, utilizing the data and setting up parameters around the data to say something was successful. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So now you find yourself in East Africa and you you had an idea of, of doing that. And as you mentioned, there's a different kind of infrastructure with actual people doing a lot of the, the outreach to reach communities and make health a priority. What would you say are the next steps to building the foundation that would bring a program like the kind of program that you, you were in charge of into the fold in the Pan-African or African landscape? Yeah, you know, I've um, kind of struggled with this because initially I thought, well, you know, we just need to find funding to like build the infrastructure and people will, you know, think that it's great if we found, you know, a group that was willing to bring electronic medical records and, Mm -hmm. you know, set it all up. But what I'm finding as, you know, now I'm kind of talking to more groups and meeting with, you know, people that are on the ground that have been trying to do this work, you know, longer than I have, that in, well, I, I can say in Kenya, at least, everything starts with policy. So, you know, the policy needs to be there. So really that is the whole thing is really setting up the, and building kind of the need for it here right now, the need just doesn't exist. That's not what the market is demanding right now, you know? So, but as you know, Google and Microsoft and all those groups come here, they're going to want access to that data. As the market begins to demand this level. More information, right? Exactly. Because mm-hmm. really in the U.S., it's really driven by the insurance companies. And there's not really a huge penetrance of insurance here. So it's going to either the government to really start to prioritize this information or industry to do it. And by industry, I mean like the technology industry, which that's my bet on, because as you're seeing like Google Health develop, Amazon has a, you know, an interest in health and Africa is an emerging market. So just a matter of time before the conversation begins to shift to here around health and health data. So I think that's what's going to need to happen with the switch. Yeah. Right now, you know, I've actually pitched Goldmine to two different VCs and basically they're like, we're not doing healthcare because right now there is no ROI in healthcare, you know, Mm. FinTech, Agritech, EdTech, Mobility, but healthcare is just not, you know, it's not lucrative enough right now. Mm, that is so interesting because healthcare is obviously the foundation, it's the bedrock of society, right? So it kind of speaks volumes about, you know, being here. And I mean, I want to say that I think all over Africa, we have a, a leadership crisis and it really boils down to, I think if we had more more women in leadership roles, we would have more of an interest in health and the health of the population to be able to increase our overall productivity, right? You know, I don't know where there's a, why there's a disconnect between if people are healthy, then your economy can be healthy, you know, those types of things. So, hum. Well, you know what I think too is Africa has a young, healthy 
population, right? So the crisis is probably not for another 10, 15 years, you know? So Mm. there are so many things that, you know, need to be dealt with. And we really saw it with COVID. COVID impacted the U.S. the way that it did because we did not have a young, healthy population, you know? Mm. And the benefit to Africa was that most of the population was young, healthy, and, you know, was not overweight at all, you know, and still Mm -hmm. exercised and things like that. So the reason why the U.S. became really interested in its underserved, overweight population is because they saw how horrible it would be to have an illness that really just impacted that group. Mm -hmm. It would really overwhelm the health system. So, I mean, hopefully we will not have to wait for something like that to happen here, but the priorities around health are maternal fetal health right now, you know, young healthy population is having a, a lot of babies still HIV and AIDS is getting a lot of funding still and then you know mm-hmm. the money for covid and for emerging pandemics are still available but chronic illness and and things like that are slow burns we'll just have to wait till the other priorities that need to be finished, you know, are done. But I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that we will really be able to do a leapfrog into digitization and electronic and telehealth and things like that, because it has been figured out in other places. So to really be able to do maybe like a plug and play or something like that, but I don't know. So interesting. And I want to put a pin in the business side for a moment and ask you why the where. So we're talking about Africa. We're talking about, you know, your big move. And and we discussed a little bit about how a trip that changed your life that had you moving abroad. So tell us why the where? How did you come to be living, working and playing where you currently live? Yeah. So, you know, I took a trip to Tanzania in 2019. And I was so moved by just the peace that I felt, the vibrancy of the colors. I can remember just sitting on a beach and taking a picture and saying, in two years, this will be my view. And it took me about two and a half years to kind of put my ducks in a row and just really quit my job and and leave. And, you know, I mentioned the colors because... That was one of the things, it was actually one of the things I I noticed in Ghana first, but again in Tanzania, just how rich and vibrant black skin looks, Mm. you know, and I'm from a place where to be professional, you're supposed to be wearing navy or black or, you know, and it was very, I felt very muted. But Mm -hmm. when I saw just the beauty of the continent and how colors were celebrated. That was really one thing that just stood out to me because I think like racism is so pervasive and you don't even realize how much you're being kind of boxed in by what is the norm for the majority population because the majority and color does, it, it, it kind of washes out the majority, whereas color for us, it really 
leads us in our power. Like if you've ever seen a black person in yellow, they're basically like glowing like the sun, you know? So for me, that was kind of one of the things. And I just really started to make a way to move to Tanzania. And I I picked Tanzania initially because it was very peaceful. It was coastal. And I really just liked the culture. It was very rich, vibrant culture. And it really worked out lovely, except COVID happened like midway. So February of 2020, COVID became COVID March of 2020 and really kind of just changed up my whole thing because I had to go back to the U.S. for a bit. And when I returned to Tanzania, I just didn't feel really the same way about it. And I was actually headed to Kampala in Uganda to just kind of check out like a new place. And unfortunately, they had detained Bobby Wine and their- Right, their elections were going on then. And so my friends there are like, yeah, no, don't come here. Why don't you check out Nairobi? And at the time, I did not know a single soul here. So, Mm. okay, you know, (laughs) what do I have to lose? And within three days of being- in Nairobi, I was like, oh, this is this is everything. But but for the first three days, I actually didn't like it because it's so different from Tanzania. Like in Tanzania, the people are very friendly and very welcoming and they will let you stumble through your Swahili with a smile. In Nairobi, people, it's a lot faster. Everybody is going on their business and they do not want to hear you struggle through Swahili, especially here, like almost everybody speaks English. So they're like, just say whatever you need to say in English and let's be done with this. (laughs) But, you know, once I kind of like re- rejiggered my thoughts, I realized like, this is just New York. Nairobi Mm. was so much of New York in terms of like, everybody's got this kind of hustler spirit. The people are just so much texture. There's so much innovation. People are moving, moving, moving. You will get scammed if you are not paying attention. Mm -hmm. But like, once you kind of once I was like, oh, Nairobi is not Dar es Salaam, you know? Mm, right. And that was like three days. It took me three days. And I was like, oh, I'm here. This is it. And I had a, I was supposed to go back to Tanzania. You know, I had a, a round trip ticket for a month. And nope. I was like, I'm here. And luckily I had brought all my stuff because, you know, at that point I moved in January 2021. You know, the borders of places were still closing because of COVID all my stuff everywhere I went. So luckily I had moved and I've been back and forth to the U S but for the past year and a half, Nairobi has been my like home base. That's so interesting. The, the juxtapose of the two countries, number one and the New York of Nairobi. (laughs) And so I also want to kind of ask you about, you know, the mindset because it's quite courageous of you to, first of all, take the step to move first to, to Dar es Salaam, to Tanzania, but then to say, okay, well, I don't really know anyone in Kenya, but I'm here. So what do you think was your, your most prominent inspiration or, or you know, reasoning for being able to just say, well, 
let me just do this. How did you find your footing and really kind of make your way to say this is now home? You know, and I will say that like it was a mindset of I I when I left my job in February of 2020, I left my job with I'm going to have an experience. There are no parameters on this. Like there's no project plan. There's no, I'm not tied or wedded to the outcome. This is just where life is leading me. So when Tanzania didn't feel like it fit anymore, I knew I needed to go somewhere. And when I went to Nairobi, I also realized that my mindset had changed. Like Tanzania was perfect for just quitting my job and really needing a place to relax and just chill out and get my mind right. The energy in Nairobi, I was ready for that energy regardless. And I Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. ultimately meet people. And like now I know that In most of the countries in the world, because there are so many African-Americans choosing to leave the U.S., most countries have a Black expat chat, whether it's, you know, Black people from America, Black people from Europe, Black people from all over wanting to leave and come back to Africa. There is a chat somewhere. You just have to find that. So once I found that, it was smooth sailing, you know, like Mm -hmm. also initially some people from Tanzania were like, oh, I know this person here, take this number. So I had a couple of starter things, but my mindset, I just didn't feel any need to do it any other way than the way that felt right for me at the time. And because of that, I, I, what, I didn't have anxiety around not knowing anyone. You know, I just knew this was part of the adventure. So tell us a little bit more about that adventure. So this is where I ask you to tell us a little about your local speak. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as global speak. I think kind of the thing that I use now, which a lot of Kenyans say, it's English and it's like, can you imagine, you know, (laughs) it's really when someone kind of does something crazy or they either say, imagine, or can you imagine? Like that has just come to be like my kind of life and motto of just like, Uh can you imagine I'm doing this? Can you imagine, you know, I, I say it all the time to myself, like, can you imagine, you know, like, yeah, that, <laughs> that's so funny because I use it too. And I probably didn't use it so much in until I started living here. Yeah, I, I think it's it just encompasses this experience, this this time. And just like there's a nuance of Kenyans that are just so I don't know, it's just so in, amazing, you know, just their. I can't even describe it, but can you imagine is <laughs> just some <laughs> my Kenyan experience. It really does. Yeah. I mean, I love the concept of imagination and imagining because it's it's a bit of surprise. It's a bit of like, huh, like really, you know, it kind of goes in a few different directions in terms of it. But the idea of like, imagine it's I just like it. So thank you for that. So we know when we come to Nairobi, 
<laughs> we might hear. Can you imagine? <laughs> for, sure, for sure, for sure. And Nairobi is such a dynamic city. Like the infrastructure is really good. There's infrastructure for entertainment. There's infrastructure for health. The health infrastructure is really great if you're private. The tech infrastructure is huge here. You know, I went to yeah. my first tech conference in Kenya. So it's 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 been great. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So speaking of tech and, and health again, tell us about Goldmine. So how did you land on mental health number one? Because we know that there is a definite crisis globally. And and how did you evolve the team and, and start working on that app? Yeah. So this has been like such a labor of love, honestly. But I had been kind of reaching out to different people in the tech space because of my initial interest in doing population health. And through that, I met a doctor who was doing a podcast just around like the tech happenings in in Africa, really, mm -hmm. called Med Medex. Medex Tech, mm -hmm. really great podcast. Uh, his name is mm -hmm. Dr. Sam Odie. But anyway, we s sat down to have a meeting and he was telling me about his interest in mental health and really kind of getting something together to increase the access to mental health and affordable quality mental health services. So he kind of had the idea to do something around mental health. So we kind of started working together. I knew a therapist from the U.S. who was really interested in doing this. And the three of us were the initial co-founders of Goldmine. Unfortunately, that first co-founder, you know, wanted to focus more on building her practice. We started working with a psychiatrist here that is Kenyan. Now, she has actually taken a step back as, you know, startups do. It's just so much front work in the beginning. Yeah. So now we're really looking at how we can really get this off the ground. Like, do we want to do just white label like an existing tech software? Initially, we were going to just build our own. Right now we're doing focus groups just to make sure that people will utilize and feel comfortable utilizing virtual services for mental mm. health. So even that the other person on the line is an actual therapist and a mental health professional, because in this space, there is a lot of distrust, just like, you know, in the U.S., there's a lot of distrust around just medical professionals anyway. But when you throw in mental health and people are really divulging some of their worst things and the stigma really associated with it, will people be willing to do that? So that, that's where we are now. We're in the phase of really kind of making sure that this is a viable option, you know, just mm -hmm. because it has taken off in the U.S. with, you know, like better health and things like that. Will it work here? So mm. that's kind mm -hmm. of where we are now. We're, we have like taking it back to the drawing board and really making sure that gold mind is something that will be viable here. In terms of being an entrepreneur in Kenya, what are some of the things that you've had to think about, you know, in terms of here in Ghana, when you are an expat starting a business, if you don't have a Ghanaian partner, the, the cost of starting the business is 300 times the cost that it is for a local person. So what is the, what is it like to start to establish a business or register a business and operate a business as an expat in Kenya? It's pretty difficult. And I mean, technically, we haven't really started it per se. 
yet. So it's a little bit easier. We have a concept, but we are we are actually registered in Delaware, registered in in Kenya because the laws here around expats owning businesses, they get very our co-founder who was a psychi- who is a psychiatrist, she was Kenyan, so she would help navigate some of that stuff. So I'm from the US. Dr. Odie is from Nigeria, but he's married to a Kenyan woman and has been here for many years. But that was one of our, our struggling points. We were all doctors, but really our psychiatrist counterpart was the only one that was really in that mental health community and really knew kind of all the players. So that's a big part of it too, just even building confidence and building trust amongst the practitioners and even mm. practitioners. So yes, there is the whole thing of figuring out funding and registering your business and, and all of that. And those are like kind of the, the, hard line skills, which I would say are actually easier, the hard line things that you have to kind of get through. But what's harder is really building trust, building recognition, making sure that you are doing something that people will not see as encroaching on their territory without really including them in the conversation Because remember, Mm. there are Mm -hmm. medical services provided here. There are therapists. There are psychiatrists. There's a large um, mental health hospital. So there are things being done here. So for you to come as an outsider and kind of like, I have the answer, it may not be well received. So we really had to kind of get to know the community. And, you know, it's interesting you say that because Kenya, Nairobi is kind of an NGO hub. Like there's just a lot of NGO activity in that space. So I think you're kind of speaking to that, but how have you understood and how are you navigating kind of potentially differentiating yourself from from those outsiders? I mean, I think you kind of mentioned it, but how, how has that experience been? It's like kind of understanding and uncovering like this NGO layer that is pervasive in every place, but may not necessarily be the most or that beneficial to the the missions that are purported as what's what they are there to do. Yeah, you know, I think it was very important to all three of us to make sure that our leadership rec- representation really got to know the country and the people that were working in leadership roles that were Kenyan, you know, because we wanted to make sure that we were not bringing a solution to Kenya based on our own beliefs. You know, it was very Mm -hmm. a Kenyan partner. It's very important to communicate with the community and see exactly what what they wanted. We did not want to rebuild kind of this NGO model. We really wanted Mm -hmm. to build something that was meaningful to the community which is why we, you know, we did focus, well, are in the process of building focus groups with patients, therapists, leadership to really make sure that the voices are being heard. And then really just getting to know the local community of therapists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When they do hear about Goldmine, they have, they're aware of it. You know, the the first knowledge of Goldmine is not just going to be, you know, an app that pops on the screen. They will have some ownership 
in helping to build a product that is useful. I like that. So speaking of useful products, <laughs> you have a whole other new self as well, which is, as you mentioned, the Ungrind. So tell us a little bit more about that wellness piece and, and how you came to be a content creator. Yes. So this is something I'm really, really proud of because it is something that developed totally organically. When I left my job, I did not have words for what I was doing. I didn't have a plan for what I was doing. I just knew that I had reached a point in my life where I was no longer fulfilled. It is not that I did not like my job. It is that that was no longer my calling and I could not give it my all, no matter how much money I was making and no, no matter how well and how many accolades I was, I was doing, it just did not speak to me anymore. And I didn't, I knew I did not want to get to the next rung. I, I felt that in my spirit. And that was something very new for me because, you know, I was a doctor, I had done two residencies, I had a master's in public health. It was just like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And this was the first time in my life where the next thing was about me. You know, the next thing was about listening to my voice and hearing what I wanted. And what I wanted and what I needed was rest and to really just focus on the life that I wanted to live. It was time to look at what is the next move that I'm going to make within my career? And in this case, the career is me, you know, mm -hmm. I'm really mm -hmm. working on myself and my needs. And I really just took the same tools that I had used to be successful in my corporate life to begin to use them to be successful in my own life. I would literally take a notebook and just write down, like, how am I feeling today? What do I want? What is it I'm looking for? And it took me about a year and a half of really doing nothing. And I say nothing in to be very clear of like, I had no parameters around what I was doing. If I wanted to go to the forest for five hours and just kind of walk around and be, that's what I did. And from that, the ungrind emerged. And I realized that I was really moving away from that grind culture. I was moving away from meaning being ascribed to the letters, you know, on my door, you know, the, the title on my door when people would come to my office. It really was more about how did I feel when I woke up in the morning? Was I feeling, you know, nourished and re-energized and recharged and ready to move forward? Or was I feeling depleted and not wanting to do, you know, that day? So I just began to move more towards the things that made me feel better and that's how I came about the ungrind because I wanted to tell more people of how they could step out of the rat race, how they can mm -hmm. shore up their finances, how they can shore up their mental state, their, their health to make sure that they can just step away, that they realize they actually have enough and push away from the table and ungrind. You know, for me, it actually mm -hmm leaving the U.S. as well, because there was a lot of things that were affecting my mental health and my joy 
in the U.S. that I knew I couldn't stay there and live in that environment. And that's how Africa became my home, because I found a place of peace. So the Ungrind is a YouTube? Yeah, Mm -hmm. the Ungrind is right now, it is a YouTube channel and an Instagram page. The YouTube channel really serves as a way to get the information out. You know, I share just my initial story. I share how financially I set myself up. I share how some of the mental questions that I had to answer, you know, one is really like, what was I afraid of? I had set myself up to move to this next step because I had worked so hard and I had, you know, saved some money. And and I do have this experience that can follow me anywhere. So what was really scaring me, you know, so there's a video just around fear. So the, the YouTube channel is really to get the information out there. Instagram is really to just show pictures of my life so people can really experience it. But ultimately, I would like to have podcasts and real information, merchandising, really making some didactics around how people can step out of the rat race and live a life that they love. That That's mm-hmm. the ultimate goal. That's inspiring. It's inspiring. It kind of leads me to my my next question, which is my mindset hack. So what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you imagine or one that you practice or one that you know of. So for me right now, the biggest space of peace is this place in Kenya called Karua Forest. Mm. And I'm happy, whether I'm sad, if I have a question, if I have something to celebrate, I actually go and just walk in the forest and forest bathe and really Mm. kind of give myself a place of peace, you know, where there's just greenery and butterflies and monkeys and waterfalls to just sit and think about like, what am I thinking? You know, what, because I, when I, when I first started this journey, I no longer trusted who I was anymore. Like I had gotten mm. so worse of who I was and what my spirit really wanted. And now by time I moved, when I say, when I first started this journey, it was not the move to, you know, or, or quitting my job. You know, I started the journey well before, I would say, you know, five, six years before I actually moved. And when I speak of a journey, I speak of just deconstructing myself and mm-hmm. my my new self, you know, kind of getting uncorporatized, you know, mm-hmm. and I, a variety of ways, whether it was like sound healing or hula hooping or donut. So I just continue that in Kenya of, going to the forest, stripping down and stripping away all the other stuff and just being in nature. And my mind functions best that way and gives me the answer that I need. That's one thing that I wish we had here. You've been here to Ghana. And what we don't have is big forests that you can roam like that. I mean, I guess we have a Brie, but it's kind of the only localish place for that. So you are blessed. (laughs) To say the least. I mean, there are a lot of green spaces, but Karua, I would say, is the equivalent of Central Park, mm. you know, right in the middle of Nairobi. And it was actually saved by a woman. You know, they mm. they were supposed to develop 
the area and build more houses. But a woman, I forgot her name, but she didn't mm-hmm. win the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, okay. Huge protest. And she like chained herself and other women to trees. I mean, they were really coming to bulldoze this forest. I don't know what I would do without this forest. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, Nairobi has, I mean, Kenya has been very intentional about building green spaces and conserving the land that they have. So yes, I feel very fortunate because I, I've i been to maybe like five other African countries and I hadn't really seen that before. Yeah, it's truly a blessing. And I mean, I'm all for, I'm, I always talk about it here. I'm a, I'm a tree hugger myself and you know this, we do all the nature stuff as we can. So I love that. And I can't wait to make my way to Kenya to to see that and yeah. see much more of this this green this green world that you're living in. Absolutely. I, I would love for you to be here. Yes, yes, yes. So speak so we've talked a lot of business, which has been wonderful. We know where the ungrind is and where we can find it. Um just just tell our listeners really quickly where we can find your your IG and your YouTube channel for the ungrind. Yes. So the YouTube channel is just the ungrind so exactly how it's spelled you actually have to spell it out like the space ungrind because i don't have enough viewership that it kind of does the smart uh, line sure the grind always comes up so you have to spell out the uh, okay okay channel and my instagram is the underscore ungrind okay good all right so we'll have that in the show notes folks you have very rich show notes again as usual so Michelle, we know you as your the doctor now and as the the wellness advocate. Tell us what you do in your spare time besides roaming the forest. So are you a reader, are you a watcher, are you a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? You know, I am an all. Mm-hmm. An, an all of the above. I would say music is what moves my soul the most. Mm-hmm. And addicted to Tony Jones. I like this whole genre of music called spiritual trap, not to be confused in trap, but it's really like a bunch of like affirmations and meditations, but with like that kind of hip hop R&B flair, you know, so you could still kind of bump to my favorite song by Tony Jones is a song called Yoni. Yoni. Yeah, my another song by one of my favorite spiritual trappers is Vibrate Higher by Landrell. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of my whole, you know, vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then book-wise, my favorite book right now that I've read in the last year or so is Think Like a Monk. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really like that. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love Vibrate Higher by um, Vibrate Higher Now. I forgot her name. Let me just do a quick Google search. So I love, or Vibrate Higher Daily, that's what it is. It's Vibrate Higher Daily. And her name is Layla. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm not much of a watcher. I... I like Atlanta. That's like, mm. you know, um, but really, I really don't. I, I don't even turn on the TV here. If I do yeah. anything, yeah. I'll watch on my computer, but I'm not a watcher. Sure. No, there's no yeah. like shows that I make sure I watch other than Handmaid's Tale. I watch Handmaid's Tale and I watch Atlanta. But other than that, <laughs> 
Yeah, well, this, I mean, Handmaid's Tale is like watching reality TV nowadays. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, it's so triggering. It is, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Handmaid's Tale has kind of like jumped a shark. And But the first two seasons were like very triggering. Like now mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, you know, it's season like four or five. They're just mm-hmm. coming up with all sorts of fanciful, you know, storylines. Mm-hmm. 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 The first two seasons were like spot on of just craziness, you know? Right, so. right, right, right. I, I haven't watched it I because I've kind of, you know, I'm not so much of a watcher either. So it takes me a while to catch up on these things, but I, I have felt the idea of the triggering and I'm like, yeah, I'll save that for another time. You know, I read the book in high school and mm-hmm. I was like, I thought like they had to have adapted it for mm-hmm. this time for it to be so spot on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now when you're, I think only up to episode two, did it really stay true to the book? Mm-hmm. So now it's really just not, you know, but, Got but it. they did write it, you know, way back when to mm-hmm. this time, now, which is crazy. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, it is what it is, what we're living through, but we're vibrating higher. That's what exactly. it's all about, right? Exactly. exactly, exactly. Michelle, this has been so awesome. I mean, I could talk to you obviously for hours, but we had our, our good time now and can continue. And I want to definitely make sure that folks check you out on your YouTube channel and on your Instagram page and be on the lookout for just the amazing projects that you're getting yourself into. It's something to really, it's really inspiring and something to look forward to. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was, it was great talking to you as always, but also, you know, you, you really made me think about, and you, when people ask you questions, you really do talk through mm-hmm. what you're experiencing. So, so that was great. I really um, appreciate it. I hope your yeah. audience checks out the ungrind because yes. I do will really relate to the content. Yeah, I do too. And so before we sign off, do you have any last thoughts to share with the audience for now? You know, just don't let fear stop you from stepping out. If there is something on your mind, whether it's moving to another country, starting some new venture, just do it. Like the world really needs us to live in our purpose and Mm -hmm. live in our, you know, bring new innovations and and new voices to, you know, age old problems because we are the solutions, you know? Yep. Yep. And that is the mic drop right there. We are the solutions. Let's be it. (laughs) All right, listeners, you have been listening to another episode of Global Citizens. You can catch us with new episodes Tuesdays at www.globalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Podnots, you know, you get the idea. Just check us out. Please do write a review, recommend a guest. It helps people find good content when you write a review or give us a rating. So we appreciate that. And until next time, as always, bye for now.